0: Please be seated. And as you take your seat, you can open with me to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter four. We've been in a series of messages through the letter of Paul to the Romans, and we spent the last, at least the last three Sundays that I've been with you in chapter four, and we finally come to the conclusion of that chapter. And we'll look at verses 16 through 25 today. Rehearse what we've learned thus far. We learned in verses 1 through 8 that Abraham was not justified by good works. And then, secondly, Abraham was not justified by circumcision, the Jewish rite of circumcision, in verses 9 through 12. Thirdly, the last time we were together, we learned that Abraham was not justified by the law of God, in verses 13 through 15. And so now Paul comes to what Abraham was justified. Abraham was justified by faith. And he demonstrates what that looked like in his life. This is really a picture in these verses of what a life of faith looks like. There are certain elements to it. And I want you to notice three of these elements today. Number one, we're going to look at Abraham's experience with God. Abraham's personal experience With God in verses 16 and 17. And then secondly, we're going to look at Abraham's expression of his faith. How exactly did Abraham express his faith? And that is in verses 18 through 22. And then thirdly and finally, we'll look at Abraham's example for us. Abraham's example for us. And that is in verses 22 through 25. So along with the outline of the message, join me in prayer. And let's ask God to bless our study of his word together this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Father, we have various needs, and you know them all. So I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would move in our midst and touch every one of us at a point of need where you define it. Do this, Lord, and more, and we'll give you the praise and glory for all that you will accomplish through your word today in our lives, and we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm aware of the fact that I used verses 16 and 17 in the message, the last message that I delivered, but uh, I realized this past week that this is really a, a, a transitional section of Scripture. It's a transition from all that Paul has been saying as he moves in the direction of showing us Abraham and his example of faith. But first of all, I want you to notice a key element here in verses 16 and 17, and that is Abraham's experience with God. Abraham's experience with God. The scriptures are clear of the fact that Abraham knew his God. He knew his God. Now, you remember, knowledge of God is not merely intellectual. It's experiential and practical. Unlike the Greeks, the Hebrews taught that true knowledge involved the whole person, the mind, the emotions, and the will. See, the Greeks thought if you just know something, that's all there is to it. It doesn't have to impact your life. It doesn't have to touch your emotions. It doesn't have to move your will to act. But the Hebrews had a totally different concept of what it was to have knowledge of something. Well, you'll notice, as we mentioned in the past, look at verse 16a. Abraham was justified by faith alone, not by good works or circumcision or the law. And then verse 16b, why faith? Well, we studied that last time, because faith, not works, is in accord with God's grace. God is not interested in human works or merit with reference to justification. No, it's only by His sovereign grace and condescension that anyone will be justified before Him. It has to be by grace, because grace acknowledges God's holiness and the fact that none of us could ever reach the standard that He asked for. We have to be saved by grace. In verse 16c, the latter part of it, the grace of God is demonstrated by Abraham's faith in God. And this faith leads to salvation of all, that is, Jews and Gentiles who follow in Abraham's footsteps of belief by faith. Now, all of this finds its foundation in Abraham's actual experience with this one true and living God. And this is what Paul is getting to in verse 17 Abraham's encounter with God is the God of resurrection and creation. In fact, Paul says, look at the wording he says here. There's a parenthetical phrase that kind of separates it, but he would say, Abraham is the father of us all at the end of verse 16. If you skip the parenthetical phrase and move right on, it says, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life for the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Abraham stood in the very presence of God. And not just any God, but the God, the true God and living God, who alone gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. You see, authentic saving faith involves, first and foremost, a true knowledge of God, a true experience with him based on His Word. We would never know anything about God unless He Himself reveals it to us. And this is precisely what the Lord did with reference to Abraham. If you go back to chapter 12 of Genesis, you see God appear to Abraham and He just said, Leave your household, leave everything, and come and follow Me. Come with Me to a land that I will show you. Sounds somewhat like the words of the Lord Jesus. Lose your life come and follow me. And you do it by faith. And if you read Genesis chapter 12, it's really beautiful. Abraham walks a bit, and then he builds an altar, and he worships. And then he goes a little further, and he builds an altar, and he worships. And we have this picture of the means of God's grace in the life of a man of faith. Because his knowledge of God is not merely intellectual. It's not just book knowledge. He has stood in the presence of the living God. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what the Lord would have for us. That we would know the living God. That we would thirst for the living God. That we would have the experience of Him showing us our sin and showing us His love and opening our hearts and minds to our need for Him. Not just for salvation, not just to be justified, but on an everyday basis. God revealed himself to Abram and told him to leave everything behind and follow him. And Abraham obeyed and he worshipped the Lord every step of the way. And I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you that Abraham's experience with the true and living God should be our experience regardless of our circumstances this morning. That we would truly believe that the Lord is in our lives, that He has saved us and brought us to a place where now we are children of God. That we have been justified in His sight. And that is a permanent condition. And no one can ever reverse it. And that the living Christ will always be with us, no matter what we face in life. He will be present. Abraham's experience should be our experience with a living God. Well, notice, secondly, with me quickly, Abraham's expression of faith. It begins in verse 18 and goes through verse 22. And there are three elements to this. First of all, Abraham believed God's word. Look at verse 18. In hope, against hope, he believed so that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, another way of saying this is Abraham's hope was based on God's word. You know, Hebrews 11.1, which we read this morning, says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things or the conviction of things not seen. And so Abraham has said here, In hope, against hope, he believed. Or, as the New Revised Standard Version puts it, hoping against hope he believed. Why does he put it this way? Well, it's against all hope, that is to say, hope based on ordinary human possibilities. Against all hope, Abraham believed in hope. That is, hope that sees beyond the circumstances and rests on God's promises and abilities. You know, hope is a tricky word. It all depends on the object of hope. Most exercise a temporary hope according to the natural order of the universe. You're familiar with that, I'm sure. This kind of hope has many limitations. It's all based on impersonal forces, and it resides in the sphere of the natural order of things. That is what we experience every day with our five senses. Thus, we have sayings like this I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I don't get sick. I hope I get an A on the test. I hope my marriage will last. I hope my money will last or my job. And this kind of hope is nothing more than what we would call wishful thinking. There is a desire, and these things are not bad in and of themselves. They're good things. We want them. But this kind of hope has nothing to do with the presence of the living God. This kind of hope does not recognize a great God who reigns supreme over all the events and circumstances of human existence and of your life. You see the importance now of knowing God personally, of having a true, authentic experience where your life has been changed. It's vital. Because without that, the hope that you have will be superficial. Our world is filled with hopelessness, even with the words that are so positive about hope. Hope. The true and living God did not create human beings to be hopeless creatures. That was not in God's plan. It was brought about by sin. He created us with an innate sense of his reality and presence. And if we really knew the living God, we would have a rock-solid sense of true hope. It wouldn't be in Mother Nature. It wouldn't be in fatalism. It would rest upon the true reality and presence of this great God. And our world needs that, doesn't it? It is filled with hopelessness. Why? Because of sin. Sin creates a division between the creature and the creator. We lose that sense of reality and the presence of the living God. You see here, Abraham's hope is very different. His hope went way beyond the impersonal forces of the universe to the God who created the universe. Our God is a supernatural God, and he is able to do far beyond all we ask or imagine. And this is where faith begins. A pagan mind cannot contemplate a supernatural God because his or her mind is confined to this realm. And as I mentioned before, Abraham's God is much bigger than Mother Nature or the impersonal forces of fatalism. Abraham's hope was rooted in a supernatural God who had a plan for his life. And Abraham was willing to take God at his word despite all the humanly speaking impossibilities of God's promise. Abraham believed God. And that's what the Lord would have every one of us to do. To believe Him. To trust Him. Well, notice the second element. Abraham acknowledged his frailty and limitations. This is very important. You can almost run right over this. But look at verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah was about 90. Now let me say, first off, faith is not living in denial of known realities. Abraham contemplated his own body. He's 100 years old. When God gave him the promise in Genesis 17, 7, he laughed. And he said, oh, that Ishmael might walk before you. And God said, no. What is impossible with man is certainly possible with God. So Abraham contemplated his own body, a hundred years old, as well as the deadness of Sarah's womb. Contrary to popular opinion in the world, faith is not a foolish, uninformed, blind leap in the dark. Let me say that again. It is not a foolish, uninformed, blind leap in the dark. To hear the average person on the streets of the United States talk about faith these days... You think it's the most silly, superficial thing in the world. It's for those people who get a lobotomy. They stop thinking about everything. They live in some la-la land as they practice their so-called faith. No, that's not at all what it is. Faith is not a foolish, uninformed, blind leap into the dark. In fact, that's the very thing that Satan propagates. Think back in Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. Satan came to Jesus and said, turn these stones into bread. And of course, our Lord responded by saying, no, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And the statement behind the statement would be this, no, faith is not treating God as some bellboy to satisfy my earthly appetites and desires. Faith is much more than that. Satan took him to the temple. He said, leap off the pinnacle of the temple. Everybody will proclaim you, Lord, there'll be no no cross No pain, no rejection. And Jesus said, don't put God to the test. And he was saying, in essence, no, faith is not presuming upon God by ignoring natural laws of his creation. That's not faith. Just so I can impress others and make a name for myself. You see, this is a blind leap of faith. That's what Satan wanted Jesus to do. Then he said, I'll give you all the kings of the world. And Jesus said, no, worship and serve the Lord thy God only. He was saying the object of faith is obedience to the Father's will and word. I am not going to be sidetracked by this lie. Because this is not what faith is. No, faith involves three things. Knowledge, assent, belief, and trust. I listen to God by reading His Word. I look at the evidence of sacred Scripture. I look at the historical evidence of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and all that He did and all that He taught and His supreme work on the cross. I look at that evidence, and then secondly, I'm willing to embrace it. I may not have all my answers to all my questions, but I'm willing to embrace it and take God at His Word. And then thirdly, I go a step beyond that. I'm willing to place my trust in Him and His plan for my life. I'm willing to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. You see, faith is not ignoring the physical, material realities of life. What Abraham did is his spiritual sense of reality met with the physical sense of reality. We don't deny reality, ladies and gentlemen. We deal with it. But we deal with it with a spiritual belief. And our spiritual sense of realities, the realities beyond us that we cannot see, are by faith. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what the hope of His calling is. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? you know how much God loves you? You are the riches of the glory of His inheritance. That's how much He treasures you. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are things that are not seen with the naked eye. They're seen with the eye of faith, which is also called the eye of the heart. And when the Lord opens our eyes to these realities, we don't have to ignore or push aside those realities in front of us. Abraham could not explain how God would fulfill his word, but he was convinced that God would indeed fulfill his word, his promise. And Abraham believed in him whom he could not see. That's so important. You know, a lot of people say, well, I would become a Christian if I could go back to the time of Jesus and I could see him and his miracles and I could see what he taught and said if I could touch him. But you know, the Bible teaches and I think about the place where Simon Peter confessed Christ. He said, Bless are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Paul said flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we need God's Word. We must believe it. Look at the centurion today in Luke chapter 7. And the Jews showed up and they said, Oh, Lord, this man deserves this. Look at all these good things he's done. And the man responds in total humility. Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. And I wasn't even considering myself worthy to come to you. Just say the word. And it will be done. I wish we all could say that. Lord, just say the word. Just say the word. And it's done. Help me to embrace the word and believe it. Help me to look at my own frailty and limitations and stop trying to make life work out on my own. Lord, I've got a terrible situation at home. Maybe you do, but you don't have the strength and you're limited just like Abraham. That's where God steps in. Strength is always made perfect in weakness. Lord, my child is breaking my heart and I don't know what to do and I respond the wrong way to him or her. There's a place where we've got to say, Lord, I don't have the strength. I am limited. I am broken. I need your grace. I don't need a personal appearance. I just need your word. Let me long and search for you in your word and believe. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do with my livelihood, my job, my income. Just say the word. Help me to take you at your word that you love me and that you will provide for all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Abraham acknowledged his frailty and limitations. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to do the same. And we need to bring our spiritual senses to the physical, material realities of this life lest we get swallowed up with them. Well, faith in Abraham was demonstrated, the expression of it, by his belief in God's Word, by his acknowledgement of his frailty and limitations. And then thirdly, Abraham grew and became strong in faith. Look at verses 20 and 21. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, faith is not a once-for-all static element. It's a dynamic, moving thing as the believer vigorously pursues his or her God. That's why Hebrews 11.6 says, It's impossible to please God without faith. And he goes on to say, He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Paul's insistence that Abraham did not waver through unbelief may seem inconsistent with Abraham's disbelieving and laughter at God's promise in Genesis 17. But Paul's point, however, is not that Abraham was a perfect person. Never had any doubts at all, but that his heart attitude was consistently one of faith and hope in the promise of God. And in believing the promise of God, Abraham made up his mind not to listen to the lies of the world. His course was set by God, and Abraham was determined to follow it at all costs. The development of our faith is most often a lengthy process, it doesn't happen overnight strong, robust faith doesn't come about overnight. Look at the story of Abraham. In Genesis 12, God calls him to begin to follow. And then for the next several chapters, all the way to chapter 22, 10 chapters, many years go by. And you see Abraham wobble here and there as he lies to Abimelech and he lies to Pharaoh about Sarah being his wife. But then he goes to save his cousin Lot. And good things begin to happen all the way to Genesis 22, where God says, take your own son and sacrifice him. And you know the story. Abraham gets all the way to obeying that order, and God stops him. And the Lord says, now I know that you fear God. Abraham went through a traumatic event, and it was a lengthy process for him to become the father of, of the faithful, and Abraham's activities and highlights, once again, demonstrate the normal means of grace. Abraham listened to God and his word, and Abraham worshipped God regularly. And many others have followed in Abraham's footsteps. I think of King David. God came to him and said, you're going to be king. Twenty-five years passed, and he had to run from Saul like a fugitive. And even when he became king, he sinned egregiously when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, but it didn't invalidate God's promise and God's word to him. Because it is by grace that one is saved, not through works. I think about Daniel, who was put away in a foreign country in exile, and he had to face the lion's then for his faith, and there was no guarantee of escape. But just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they said, we will not turn on our God, no matter what happens. Nehemiah, called to rebuild the wall in the city, had every kind of opposition you could possibly imagine, and it served to develop his faith. Abraham grew in his faith. I love 1 John 2. You know where he says, I write to you little children, I write to you young men. You know what he says about fathers? I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. The further you go, walking with Christ, the more you see Him in your life and you see yourself dying to sin and living to righteousness, the more you start walking with Him blindly because you know and you trust that He knows what's best. Well, Abraham's experience with God, Abraham's expression of faith. Finally, look at Abraham's example for us. In verses 22 through 24, Paul rounds off his exposition of Abraham's faith by citing again his text, his key text, Genesis 15, 6. It was credited to him as righteousness. And he makes it clear that this verse and its meaning have direct application to Christians. Because like Abraham, we too believe in the God who gives life to the dead, specifically the God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And like Abraham, we too believe in a God who created all things. And we know according to the Gospel of John that Jesus Christ was the very agent of all of God's creation. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And this great blessing is available to all who believe. That is, all who are willing to, to humble themselves and say, I want to trust in Jesus. I really want Him to come into my life. I really want to bow the knee and I want to submit my life to Him. And I want Him to change me. Verse 25 describes the work of Jesus, the Lord, in two parallel statements. The first statement alludes to Isaiah 53, 12, where the servant of the Lord is said to have been handed over because of their sins. Jesus was handed over to death because it was necessary to provide for our sin problem. He had to make atonement. He had to make propitiation to satisfy the wrath of Almighty God. But in the second line, it says, Jesus was raised from the dead for the purpose of providing for our justification. You know, Paul usually connects our justification with Christ's death, This verse is rather unusual. It shows that Christ's resurrection adds a note of finality to our justification. Christ lived and died and He rose again. He accomplished that justification for us. But His very resurrection, as if it seals it saying, you are justified once for all. You can never be more justified than you are right now if you've trusted in Christ. And that's some of the hardest things for us to choke down, that God loves us that much and that we cannot, must not, look to ourselves and depend on anything that we do to save us. Abraham's example for us. We ought to follow in his footsteps. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ by faith, I pray the Holy Spirit would open your heart today and that He would invade your heart and draw you to himself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful example of faith, saving faith. And we pray, Lord, that it would be true and real in all of our lives. Lord, I pray for one or more today that have never known you by faith, that, Lord, they would look at their own frailty and sinfulness, and they would see a need for a Savior, and they would reach out to you, Lord Jesus, and find life. Lord, do all these things and more. We'll give you the praise and glory for what you will do. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.